you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched. Pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations, Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit osseogear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear. Prepare to be invisible. Well, welcome everyone to Chasing Giants. Episode 100. I'm Terry Peer with Don Higgins. Don, this thing almost didn't happen this week. <laughs> um, it almost didn't, and I'm not sure if it's going to. To be honest, uh, you and I have both been sick, and I'm feeling a little bit better today. Um, I, I probably have been sicker than I've been in about five years. Came home from a consulting trip to Missouri Wednesday night. I felt fine when I got home, but. Uh, well, by the time I woke up Thursday morning, I was feeling terrible. Well, there's a very good likelihood that both of us will be on coughing fits most, multiple times before this is over today. But with it being episode 100, um, we wanted to make sure to put some content out this week. Um, we got a great buy farm segment um, that we wanted to get out because that's an online auction that's going on this week. So... Um, it would have been really easy for us just to postpone it, but we wanted to go ahead and put something out. But like I said, if 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 we start coughing and hacking, you'll just have to bear with us. Um, you know, it's pretty cool that so many people have. Uh, uh, you just you just held up your cup there, don't you? Hold it up. We've gotten a couple uh, uh, gifts from our listeners. This is from uh, Todd Covey in Kentucky. And you got another one there We uh, for congratulating us on our 100th anniversary or our 100th episode. So we appreciate all the support. Unfortunately, we didn't get to, since we were both sick, we didn't get to put together anything really special for the 100th episode, but we're just ordinary guys. So why not make it ordinary? Yeah, that's true. We're just simple country boys. So we'll just uh, have a simple podcast. Yeah, there you go. So uh, one of the things I want to get out of the way before we start, um, I'm going to put up on the screen here. Um, we did introduce and put out for pre-sale our 2022 Big Buck, Back, Big Buck Factory t-shirt that's available at HigginsOutdoors.com. If you're interested in one of those, uh, we will have these in hand by uh, the Ship Shawana show. 
and um, they're available online. We should be able to uh, ship them out probably around first week or two of February, I would guess. So if you've ordered those, they're coming. Uh, this is not going to be the t-shirt the that you get for when you uh, submit a question this year. That's going to be a different shirt that we'll release here very shortly, right? Right. Uh, the, the new shirt uh, for the questions will have all the new sponsors' logos on it, just like the old shirt had. But uh, since we've updated some sponsors, it'll reflect that. All right. Well, I want to get to a couple things here real quick. I'm going to go back to a picture and share that you put on your social media. And that is a photo of a coyote in the snow was uh, first. Is this a is this a trail camera picture from your place? It is a trail camera picture. It's one I got a couple years ago, uh, not on my place, but another farm I hunt. Uh, it was such a great picture that I, I saved it Yeah, and uh, shared it a couple times, but. Well, tell us a little bit about this post that you made, because uh, based on the comments and questions and offers, you are now uh, a very famous person that everybody wants to come be your best friend and coyote hunt on your farm. So what's going on with that? Well, I've just, uh, you, you know, we had the drawing for the uh, uh, the hunt on my place, late season hunt uh, for my church. Uh, proceeds benefited that ministry. and. Uh, that hunter came and, and it actually is here right now um we hunted the last two evenings as sick as i was i was able to get out in the blind with him and uh what i've noticed is the deer on my place are super skittish more than i've ever noticed them and uh, the only thing that i can come up with is that i've been seeing a lot of coyotes uh, on my trail cams on my cell cams and in fact uh sean cogdell the hunter that's here the first evening we was out, he shot a coyote with his bow, um, came right in. And, um, that night I had a picture of three more together coming right past, uh, one of my cell cams. And, um, on that first hunt, we was looking back in the timber and there was deer running around, uh, something was chasing them. And I, and I suspect it was coyotes. And anyway, uh, I just, it's time to, to thin them out. It's something I, I try to stay on top of, but you know, there's kind of, peaks and valleys in the coyote population and right now they're just thick and I, I might i put the post out there you know asking anyone that wants to hunt now that doesn't mean you're going to come onto my farm and hunt uh, but there's a lot of these guys that are hunting uh, essentially just right off of the road using um, collars and thermal imaging or night vision scopes and uh, you know they're they're sitting out along open ag fields and they're calling these coyotes out of the cover and uh i'm fine with that i, I don't i made it on set on my post i don't care how you kill them you can use helicopters and atom bombs for all i care just kill them <laughs> but but stay out of my deer woods right. so that 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 post does not mean anybody's coming on to my place to hunt them because you're not but come to my neighborhood and shoot all you can well you know um to to dive into that a little bit more um, I've noticed that on your property and your property's probably been hunted less this year than any other year here recently. You didn't hardly hunt it at all. Um, right. I didn't hunt it that much, but I noticed the same thing with the deer being a little bit skittish and I shot two coyotes. So there's, um, I think I saw a coyote almost every sit that I've been on the farm this year. Yeah, they're, they're definitely up. Uh, there's usually somewhere on this section. Uh, of land along this the, there's a creek that goes through my section and 
every year there's at least one litter uh, of pups that are raised here. I start getting pictures of them in the summer when I put my cameras out for velvet bucks. You'll see the, you know, five or six or whatever pups um, on a field edge or something. And But, boy, this year it seems like there's just at least twice what there normally is. So, And it's happened in the past, too. And uh, I've brought trappers in or uh, friends uh, hunting at night, and, and they've been able to thin them down. And I, it's just time to get on top of it. Yeah, and, and predator control, maybe we can do that if, if people have specific questions they want to submit as far as how it relates to your uh, your deer habitat and management practices. I think that's an important step that sometimes we overlook. You know, I think I think the average hunter is probably always guilty. You know, they, they've put in a lot of time as deer season's winding down and they're probably behind on their honeydew lists and a lot of things. So this time of year, they really take a break with habitat projects and predator control can be one of the most important things we do this time of year. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, really it, it's something we need to stay on top of every year. If, uh, you take a year off, the predators are going to bounce back in a hurry. And, you know, the interesting thing about coyotes is they've done studies and, uh, when the population is down, the size of the litters will be up. So the coyotes will repopulate in a hurry. Uh, when the population's higher, the, the litter size is smaller. So uh, you might think you've got on top of it and have it under control, but that just means the coyotes are going to come back uh, with bigger litters and make your job uh, a never-ending battle. Isn't God's creation just amazing in how it can regulate itself like that? That's just I'll tell you what. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, believing is seeing. Yep. Well, speaking of that, I'm going to share another picture from your social media this week. And this was a picture that you took, uh, of fossils on, I think you said it was a really high point or bluff, one of the highest areas or points in the area. And it was just fossils into the side of a, a rock formation. I think this was in Missouri this week, right? Yeah, I was in Southwest Missouri, not that far from Springfield, uh, did several properties down that way really but uh uh the landowner and, and his sons took me up uh um we was at the top of a canyon really it, it was just it was neat as can be and i was looking over this canyon and um nate blosser was the landowner there's some um some listeners might uh, be familiar with the name nate blosser he's uh grown so he's a captive deer breeder and has grown some really giant bucks but uh, uh we was looking at uh, his farm uh, where he hunts wild deer and uh, we got ready to leave after looking out over that canyon and he says hey don come and look at this rock and this rock was was like the highest point and he told me that this was the highest point for about five counties around mm. and, and that rock was nothing but solid fossils i mean the whole entire and, and it was a huge rock that rock had to weigh several tons and uh, he says how do you suppose that got there and i just smiled nodded i knew exactly where he was going you know uh uh the great flood we've all heard of noah noah's ark and the great flood there's there's no doubt how that got there and you know the interesting thing is there there's been all kinds of other places around the world where similar things have been found the himalayas for example um fossils like that have been found you know way above sea level yeah. so uh i, I just I know you had some interesting comments on your social media of uh, some people that uh, had a, a different opinion of, of, of a creator and a flood and 
and our biblical accounts of everything. And that's okay. Maybe, uh, maybe one day, uh, a few of these small conversations will, uh, will set the tone for somebody believing in something a little bit more than a big explosion. Well, the devil's a great deceiver and, uh, he's going to deceive some people, no doubt about it. And I said in my social media post, you know, a lot of people, um, kind of live by the idea that seeing is believing, but for a Christian, believing is seeing. And once you believe in God, I mean, he starts revealing himself to you that in ways that the unbeliever doesn't see. And the, and the stronger your faith and the more you believe, the more obvious it becomes. I mean, it, it's totally undeniable. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just a shame that not everybody gets to that point. And uh, I, I don't know if I said it in that post or not, but I, I've said it in, in the past many times that you know, one day we are all going to believe in Jesus. Every every last one of us is going to believe in Jesus one day. The smart people are going to do it before they die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, this trip with uh, uh, Missouri, you were out there. That was one of your, you usually take uh, probably two to four longer trips every year to where you try to knock out a bunch and instead of running all over back and forth. Uh, you were out there. Any eye-opening things or things you picked up on that um, that you found interesting? Because I think you were out there, what, 11 days, 10 days, something like that? that I was actually only out there six. I was. Uh, oh, I took okay. one day. I'm trying to be in the real-world office every Thursday this year, so that gives, gives me six days. And I try to be home on Sundays, too, so I'm going to have a lot of six-day trips, but a lot of shorter ones as well. But anyway... Yeah, there was a couple of, of real interesting observations in uh, Missouri this uh, this past week. One thing, did you know that all of southern Missouri is in CRP? Huh? You know, we, we talk about CRP and, you know, what a great thing the Conservation Reserve Program has been for wildlife and wildlife habitat. But I didn't realize the entire um, southern half of Missouri has been in CRP. And when they told me that, I kind of looked at them like, what are you talking about? And they said, yeah, all of Southern Missouri is, is either cedars, rocks, or persimmons. So <laughs> CRP, yeah, all of Southern Missouri is CRP. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. And then, you had me confused um, for a minute. Yeah. The other thing uh, that really st uh, stuck with me this week was uh, I was on a farm, and we was we was traveling down a, a – road within the woods like a logging road if you would and uh this landowner is super serious about habitat work and i mean he's done a bunch of just a fantastic property and as we're traveling down this logging road um i, I noticed that the timber was very similar on both sides but the understory was really different one side the other one side was really thick with undergrowth just looked like beautiful deer habitat and the other side had almost no undergrowth at all. Man, I questioned him about it. I'm like, how come there's so much more undergrowth over here? There's the same amount of sunlight getting in both sides. What's the difference? And he says, well, I'm working with a uh, private lands biologist through the Missouri Department of Conservation. And he comes out and we burn this side of the road every year. So that fire comes through and it wipes out, you know, all that, that undergrowth. <clears throat> there's coughing fit number one the listeners are going to keep score here but uh 
you know, anyway, the side that was not being burnt was 10 times better deer cover than the other side that they were burning. But, and when I questioned him about it, he says, well, this particular biologist, he's big into turkeys and quail. And that, that's a great turkey woods because the turkeys can see, you know. And uh, he says, yeah, when I go spring turkey hunting, I've come up here where we do the burn. And uh, the turkeys really like it because they can see. And, uh, you know, I, fire has its place in, in habitat uh, improvement. But uh, I think uh, it's being probably overused from what I've seen there because I get so many questions for, uh, from people asking uh, my opinion on fire. And if I've ever burned my place, and I never have, um, and after what I've seen this week, I never will. And it's, yeah, I'm, but again, it's got its place. If you're uh, creating habitat for certain species, it's probably fantastic. But well, I think, for deer, I, think, I just don't see it. I think that's a that's a testament to. There's a lot of people out there with different ideas on what to do with habitat. You need to make sure the person that you're talking to is in line with specifically what your goals are. You know, we're, we're in it for monster whitetail and, uh, you know, somebody who's wanting to hunt quail, that's probably a little bit different strategy. Um, there's a lot of people with different ideas and different goals, but it, it's not the same plan across the board. No. And, you know, that brings up another interesting thing from this trip this week. I, I, I spent considerable time with Nathan Bosser and, and his sons and, and that whole community down there and, uh, just great people had a, had a fantastic time and, and uh, Nathan was saying something about uh, you, you got to really pay attention to, to who you take advice from. Um, everybody is willing to offer advice, but you need to stay, no matter what you're involved with, whether it be farming or livestock or deer hunting or playing checkers, he said, just take a step back and look at that person's accomplishments and achievements before you listen to a word they say. And I said, you know, that is so true. And I wish that deer hunters would take that to heart because I see so much information and misinformation being passed along by people with basically no credibility. And that's not to knock those people because they, a lot of them are just young and they don't have the experience. Um, social media gives everyone a platform. So everybody jumps on their platform to share their opinion, but there's not a whole lot of them that can back it up. And, uh, there's a lot of comments that start with you should or you need when people comment on a post, aren't there? I see it all the time. Yeah, they need it to all read. the time. My, my, uh, one of the YouTube channels that I watch a lot is called Outdoors with the Morgans. And it's a family in western Pennsylvania that he has a sawmill and they cut firewood and stuff. Just a family that kind of lives off their or does projects around their homestead. And he said that they, they, ought to, they ought to rename YouTube into You Should. He said it's, well, it's constant. Everybody telling him he's doing something wrong or uh, he needs to do something different. And the people, the people might live in downtown Manhattan and they're telling him how to run a chainsaw. Well, when they start making up lies about him, then he knows he's really made it to big time. <laughs> Well, talking about habitat projects, uh, I want to, this is one of the things that we get asked a lot and I'm sharing my screen right now. And that's, let's talk about rope scrapes a little bit, because I think, um, you and I have talked that this has become one of our preferred ways of getting inventory of bucks. Um, and you've even, uh, put a new one in, uh, next to what we call the smoky blind on your place. 
just almost as a strategic point where they slow down to where we can get a little visual of them through the woods so they don't pop out too quick and let us get ready. But this is the time to be doing this, isn't it? Right. You know, everybody wants to wait until right before season or in the summer and get their rope scrapes out. But now's the time to get out there. Let those uh, ropes um, have plenty of time to weather. Um, you know, we're here at the very last few minutes of, as we record this, we're in the last few minutes of the Illinois archery season. And uh, I know a lot of other states, if they haven't closed already, will in the next few days or, or a couple weeks. So uh, it, it's time to to start in on work for next season and right out of the gate, you need to get them ropes out, get them hung now. And they've got months and months to, to weather and uh, get sent washed off of them and be ready to roll for next fall. There's a, there's a, a lot of questions we get about using rope scrapes. And then there's a lot of more misinformation about it. But one of the things that's very common is the people that, that contact us and say the deer aren't touching them. When we ask them when they put it out, they will say August, September, something like that. And I don't care what kind of rope that you buy or whether you, uh, you know, um, where you get it, whether it's at Tractor Supply or Amazon, there's going to be scent in that rope. And I know you, you cut these things up well ahead of time and just put them out in the tree in your yard for a year just right. so they're ready whenever they're, they, uh, whenever you need a spot that has to put one up. Well, I have had terrible luck trying to put them up right ahead of season or in season. And, and you know, location is key, but even on a great location, I, I've just not been able to get bucks to hit them, uh, with any consistency at all by hanging them that time of the year. And, and the other thing that, that I get a lot is people want to argue or, or they'll even ask, you know, is a grapevine better? They, they think, a They've got people out there saying that grapevines are better than ropes. I've tried both. Um, I'm not saying grapevines won't work because they certainly will. Um, but from my experience, I've had much better luck with the rope. So I was at ATA this this year and somebody's actually prepackaged rope in a, in a little package with sin in it. So they've commercialized, you know, this wasn't even your idea. This is ideas that right. you've developed and modified over the years, but Folks, you know, we don't make a dime off this, but go to Amazon. This is a this is a spool uh, for the people just listening. I'm holding up a spool. I think uh, I think this was a hundred foot uh, three quarter inch diameter hemp rope. Just go buy it. You can buy this. Um, I don't know. You can probably find three quarter one inch rope anywhere from 40 to 70 dollars, depending on a 50 foot or a hundred foot roll. Um, cut it into lengths get it ready, get it out in the trees, let that scent come off of it. Most of the time, the people that are having trouble with deer not hitting it is because they didn't get it out ahead of time. And, you know, they try to, it's like anything else. There, There's no shortcuts to some things. And you can soak it in water with baking soda and trying to get the scent out of it. The bottom line is people just, now's the time. You got plenty of time get off your couch mm -hmm. instead of watching football and, and go out and cut ropes for a half hour. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I'll throw out there, Terry, that if you go to our YouTube channel, there's a video on the whole process. So, uh, just go to chasing giants with Higgins outdoors, YouTube, and look for the rope scrape video, give you a step-by-step, -step, uh, instructions on how to get her done. All right. 
Well, with that, let's uh, let's talk and remind everybody about speaking engagements that we have going on here in the near future. I'm going to be in Huntington, West Virginia on the 29th of January for a whitetail scoring party. This is anybody that would be in eastern Kentucky or the West Virginia area um, just across the river from Ashland. Um, the location's fairly close to interstate, pretty easy to get to, but they're bringing in a certified whitetail score. You can bring your buck in and uh, they're going to have a couple speakers uh, and then you can walk through. You're going to be up at Extreme uh, Custom Food Plots the beginning of February, right? Yeah, February 5th on a Saturday. Uh, you have to buy tickets to this one, folks. And I, I forget what the tickets are. They're, they're cheap, like 20 bucks. But for that 20 bucks, you get like a coupon for a 20 bucks off a purchase of real world products. Um, it also includes a lunch, I believe. Details to buy the tickets or for details on the event, go to extremecustomfoodplots.com and uh, you can find everything you need there. There's going to be two seminars that day. I believe one's at 10 and one's at one o'clock or something like that. But again, details are on their website. All right. And then the Ship Shawana show will be on the 17th through the 19th up in northern Indiana. This is an awesome show. We have a lot of friends that travel a long way. Um, remind, do you remember the fellow that came and showed up at the booth right at closing? I forget how far he drove. We took a picture of him right before we left. I mean, he was from way out east, wasn't he? New York or somewhere yeah. like that? Yeah, I remember the guy, but I don't remember. I mean, he, yeah, he wasn't no local. <laughs> It was a long way. So we have we have a lot of people that come out and uh, this is a really good opportunity just to visit. Um, you know, you have a booth there. So when we're not in the the seminars or the, the debate on Friday night, we're sitting over in the booth just talking to people come by. Really good chance for us to get to know people and catch up with with a lot of our friends from the Ohio, Indiana and Michigan area. Yeah, we're going to do the live podcast the one evening. Uh, the it's next evening Thursday will be night. the, right. And then, uh, Friday night will be the debate with, uh, myself and Tony LaPratt and, uh, Saturday, I think I've got a seminar. So, uh, we've got an event each of those three days. All right. So, um, um, we'll put up a uh, flyer on that and then, uh, your big trip down to the Southeast to be able to meet some new friends down there. I'm not going to this one. But you're going to be going down to Raleigh, North Carolina on March 4th through the 6th at the Dixie Deer Classic. Yeah, seminars each day. Um, our good friends and uh, real world dealer Jimmy Hooks will be there uh, with Hooks Outdoors. They will have a booth with real world products. I'll be either in that same booth or the booth right next to, the, to Hooks Outdoors and uh, be doing seminars each day. So look forward to seeing folks down there. Yeah, the biggest thing, folks, we've talked about the shipping costs rising and UPS, you know, real world doesn't make any money off shipping. Uh, whatever they charge us is what we have to pass through. But the folks that are down in, uh, in the southeast, this is a great time to pick up product and save shipping. But with the demand that's going to be there, you need to call Jimmy Hooks. And, um, and if you need his number or anything, go to the real world website and look at dealer locator, but let Jimmy know what you need ahead of time. The further that UPS has to take some of these bags of, you know, soybeans, a 50 pound bag, the more expensive it gets. And this is a great way to get it locally, um, and not have to pay that shipping and save some money. 
Right. Jimmy's really working his tail off down there to get real world established uh, in the southeast, not, not only the Carolinas, but Georgia and Alabama and through that region. So uh, support him and we'd be grateful right. for it. All right, so I'm going to put up on the screen here real quick. This is a flyer for the, the event in Huntington, West Virginia on the 29th. For those who are in the area, you need to let them know you're coming. There's no charge to this event, but they are going to serve food. The number is 304-416-4437. It's at the Camp Mad Anthony Wayne Lodge, January 29th. Uh, whitetail scoring party there's a couple guest speakers and there's going to be a bunch of big bucks on display and then again the ship shawana show uh, the seminars are free but you do have to buy tickets to the great debate which can be purchased at michianaevents.com and uh, that is the the debate is on friday night february 18th at 6 p.m ship shawana is on eastern time right yeah, Shipshawana is on Eastern time, I believe. So yes. uh, go check that out. So anything else we need to talk about with our upcoming events? I think we've covered it. All right. With that, we're going to move on to our segment with Matthews Archery, and that is an update from the Lester's Feet Foundation. I'm going to turn it over to Ann Razor, who um, unfortunately this week uh, has some news to share about a family that we helped um but john ended up losing his battle with cancer back in october but it's important to us to honor him and um and give a little bit of a memorial here so here's ann razor she's on the board of directors at lester's feet thanks terry hi everyone my name is ann razor a lot of you probably don't know me i am the graphic designer for chasing giants in real world and i'm married to austin razor and we are both on the board of lester's feet today i'm actually here to tell you about a boy named john and we wanted to update you guys because of all your support and your love and your prayers and your donations and everything that you've done to help get Lester's feet up and running. So we heard about John from the Ward family, who you guys actually heard from last week. So the Ward family, when they were frequenting children's, um, they met this um, duo named John and Bill Mary. So John was a 13-year-old boy who was diagnosed with leukemia AML when he was five or six years old. Since then, he had relapsed about five times. So by the time we came in the picture, he had been in children's for the past seven months. John is cared for by his grandmother, Bill Mary. So when Lester's feet stepped in, we were able to like send John like snacks and care packages and like socks and games and all that stuff. And then we met with Bill Mary, his grandmother. And Bill Mary had lost her job because she was with John so much at children's. They're both from Kentucky. And so it was a little bit far from home. So Phil Mary was behind on her rent and um, we could just tell that, you know, it's, it was so stressful for her to be there and have stuff going on at home. So we helped her with that. We were able to get her um, a backpack and a mattress topper for the Ronald McDonald house. We were able to get her um, just kind of like a care package like clothes and shoes and stuff that she wouldn't think to buy at this time when she's caring for John. So um, that was really great that we were able to step in and um, do that for them. Unfortunately, John passed actually this past October. And when we had stepped in and started helping him, it was the end of the summer. So, sorry. We know as Lester's feet that it is a risk that um, these children could pass away. This was our first one. It was really, it really hit us all hard. 
we were able to help Phil Mary as much as we could. Lester's feet knows that um, whatever's going on medically, it affects the whole family because everyone has to step in, everyone has to cover for each other. A lot of times people are traveling all over, having to stay at places that aren't their home. It is super stressful. So Lester's feet tries to help wherever we can. We were able to help Phil Mary. We were able to help with things after John had passed. And uh, we just wanted to update you guys as Chasing Giants listeners because a lot of you have been praying and donating and asking what's been going on. And so we hope to get on here, um, here and there to just update you guys about the people that we help. And we really wanted to pass on the legacy of John because um, he sounded like a really sweet kid. And uh, thankfully we were able to meet his amazing, amazing grandmother, Phil Mary, and help him out in any way we could. So um, maybe I'll see you guys again in the future to give you another update, but that's all for now. Um, sometimes the, uh, the news isn't good, Don, but, um, I'm glad that we can be there for families and help them be with their family and, and mean something in times of tragedy. Um, it's, it's just a tough situation and, um, yeah, uh, you can tell by Ann's video, uh, even hard for her to even talk about it still a couple months after. Well, I can't imagine losing a child, you know, uh. One of the reasons that uh, I, I'm involved with Lester's Feet just personally is I, I was blessed with two healthy daughters. Um, my, I've got a grandson that's got a health issue at the moment, but it's not life-threatening, and and he should come out of that okay, um, you know, with some prayers. And I, I just can't imagine, you know, what some of these families have to go through, and um, I just count my blessings every day that I have not had to experience that. And if I can help those families in some way, Lester's feet's the avenue for me to do so. Well, I, I, I hate taking a lot of time of the podcast, but this story is just too good to share. If you're all right with me sharing what happened this week about God putting people in touch with each other. Um, I haven't really talked to you because we've both been sick, but... Earlier this week, we have a, a young girl, I think she's 15 or 16, that's epileptic, that has to have brain surgery in Birmingham, Alabama. And her mom is single mom, four kids, and uh, we're trying to help her out a little bit as they navigate um, what's going on with the daughter. But one of the things that's that's wrong is their vehicle's in really bad shape. So we were going to work to get that vehicle some repairs done on it so she could safely travel back and forth to the hospital and uh, it's about an hour hour and a half drive back and forth to birmingham so 
I, I had the address of, of the mom from when we did the paperwork for the application for Lester's feet. So I got online and started looking around. At, she has a, um, a Dodge minivan. So I started looking for dealers. You know, Chris Yates helped us out with another family like this. I, I looked for a dealer and then call the service manager and just say, hey, introduce myself and say, we have a family that we're helping in the area. Can you get this car in? Make sure that it's safe. Tell me how much it costs and I'll pay the bill you know, via credit card from Lester's feet over the phone and uh, make sure this family's safe and not broke down along the interstate while they're trying to get their kid treatment. So stupid me, you know, I, I'm always doing three things at one time. Uh, I found a car lot that was kind of close to this family. And uh, so I, I, I clicked the service number, called it. Well, what I didn't realize, it's one of these dealerships that has multiple locations like Chris Yates out in Kansas City. You know, it's not just one mm -hmm. facility. Well, I called the wrong one and uh, called this, called the place and said, can I speak with the service manager, please? And she said, yes. And this guy answered the phone and I could tell he was stressed out about something. You know, there was a lot of background noise. And I just said, sir, my name is Terry. I need to schedule service, but this is a little bit of a weird situation. I need to talk with you for about five minutes. Is now a good time? And he said, I'm sorry, it's not. Can I get your phone number and I'll call you back? I said, sure. So this was this was a little late in the afternoon and I needed to get this car scheduled for this mom. You know, we're, we're running out of time before she has to be on the road for surgery. Well, I didn't get a call back from this guy. So I called back, couldn't get a hold of him, called back again and finally got a hold of him. And I could tell he was he was really there's just a lot going on and told him what I needed. And he was he was polite and he just said, sir, um, I can't take the car right now. He goes, you know, I'm short of people, short of parts. There's cars on the lot that I haven't gotten to. He said, and, and by the way, he said, uh, you need to call our sister lot. Um, because they can get them in and I think it's a little bit better of a, a drive for them and I said okay and he asked me just a vague question he said so you're a foundation you help families and I said yes sir I said we we try to help families that have sick or uh, you know kids that need need um, um, medical care or treatment and we try to help the families he said well and I could tell he, he started getting a little choked up on the phone and he said, that's that's really cool. I'm sure people appreciate that because, you know, I'm kind of in that situation now. And he wasn't he wasn't saying it to say, help me. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, we got my son. We got some issues with him. He was in a pretty bad accident. And I said, OK, well, I said, would you mind calling me back tonight after you get off work? And he said, huh? I said, I want to hear a little bit more about your son. So just a classic example of how God, if if I would have just let this thing go and wasn't fighting to get this lady's car in, called the wrong number, basically, I would have never met this guy and found this family in Alabama that their son, when he was 16, was hit head on by a tractor trailer. Awesome young man. He was an unbelievable musician, played all these instruments, was in the band and uh, he he has some brain uh, injuries and they need to get this treatment that's not approved by the FDA so insurance won't pay for it. 
and they had had a meeting that day to try to figure out how to do it. They had some money saved up, but not near enough. They got to travel up into Tennessee. So I got to call that. We called a board meeting immediately, told the board of directors what was going on. I got to call that family back that night and say, book the therapy, book an Airbnb or a place to stay for a month. We're covering it. We're going to get that treatment for your son to, to try to get him on his feet again and get him recouped. But man, it's just humbling to see how God connects dots. And, and it all came from my stupidity and calling the wrong number. I get chills just hearing you tell that story. I'm telling so, you, God works in mysterious ways and you think it's just fate or chance or whatever, but it's not, uh, he opens doors and we don't even see it. Yeah. So, uh, one of the first calls was, uh, was our good friends, Chris Yates and, and Brian Kraft at Midwest land group. You know, those two have been, um, not only do they pray for me often and just send me notes of encouragement, but they've been two of the biggest supporters to help get Lester's feet off the ground. And, um, it's awesome just to share those kinds of stories with them, um, and see their reaction, but, but pretty cool. For sure. Absolutely. All right. So right now let's move on to the buyfarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now, here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Well, hey everyone, I'm here with Don Bailey, managing broker and co owner of Biofarm. Don, you got a property for us today in Polk County, Illinois, is that correct? Yes. Uh, what we've got today, Terry, is a 162 acre. Uh, partial in Polk County. Uh, it's a homestead. It was a weekend retreat for the owner. Uh, he's owned it for 26 years. It's a pretty unique property. Uh, it has three-quarter of a mile river frontage on the Ohio River, uh, a stick-built home, a dual fireplace. Uh, of the 162 acres, there's 45.46 tillable. Uh, this property has only been hunted uh, privately uh, by the owner's son-in-law, so it's not had any real hunting pressure on mm -hmm. it. Right. Uh, located on a dead-end road, uh, and it's, it's like I said, a property that's been owned by the owner for 26 years. It's not a, a flip property. Uh, some of the highlights, it has some sizable timber. Uh, timber valuation hasn't been done, but the owner is one of them guys that just doesn't like to cut the trees, but it really could use some uh, timber management uh, mm -hmm. and then some of the larger trees taken out. Uh, also has, uh, as a lot of Southern Illinois does, some astounding outcropping rock formations uh, that go with the property. And it's, it's on our website, and you can see that it, it is unique. I sound like a salesman, Terry. I guess that's what I am. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's just 28 minutes from Paducah, uh, northeast of Paducah, and 53 miles from Marion, Illinois. Uh, I've been over the property a good bit, and it 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 really is a nice track. Uh, it could be used for horses. Uh, it's got a nice pond, a stock pond. 
then again, the view of the Ohio River, the home sets up on a bluff, uh, like a 60-foot bluff overlooking the Ohio River, and uh, uh, it's it's pretty unique in that way. Yeah, I'm looking uh, the the pictures on the website. If if someone wanted this just for a weekend getaway vacation home, it would be phenomenal with that view over the river. But if somebody wanted a hunting property, they could pretty much start this with a clean slate. They got everything. They got mature woods that they could get some timber value off of for income. They could. It's got some tillable on it. You could put bedding in it, food plots. Uh, the sky's the really the limit on this property. And oh my goodness, what a view! And it and it is. It's as they say, a diamond in the rough for for the weekend getaway person mm-hmm. or a permanent resident. Sure. The home was built fifty years ago, but it was uh, built by an architect out of Chicago and it's very very well built. Okay. Uh, but then again, it is fifty years old. It is a little dated, but uh, it's it's move in ready. Right. Um, and with the uh, two acre private pond stocked, that that makes it you know, somewhat, somewhat unique also. Uh, if someone's looking for, you know, yeah, hunting camp, getaway, or to start their deer, it's so secluded that it, it is definitely up like a half a mile or a mile of private lane. And then of course there's no, there's three quarters of a mile of it, no access, mm-hmm. which is river fringe. Right. So, uh, it, 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 has a little bit of everything right uh, for someone so this is actually this is actually an auction tell us a little bit about how that works this is it's fairly simple uh just go onto our website buyafarm.com click on bid now and then go through the bidding registration process through high bid then once you get to that point uh it contacts me and i give the final approval on on the bidding. Okay. Uh, and from there, it's just like any other auction. Uh, you can watch the bidding and bid if you want to or not bid, of course. But it's it's, it's fairly simple uh, in that respect. We, okay. We've got it down to where where the layman can, can do it. Okay, so when does that auction close then? The actual auction closes, uh, hang on here just a second. I don't want to tell anybody wrong. The bidding closes January the 11th. Uh, you mean the 18th? Yeah, 18th. I mean, yeah, the open house. Bidding opened the 11th, but it closes the 18th at 8 p.m. Yep. Uh, so the bidding, the, the bidding closes Tuesday, January 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So you only have a couple days if you're interested in this. Um, please go out to the Biofarm and um, website and look under Pope County. And then click on the bid now, set up your profile. But this this could be a fantastic, fantastic property. Uh, another interesting thing on it, Terry, all the minerals that are owned, uh, and the owners own it for quite a while. He's going to transfer, so they're they're going to go with the property. Okay. All right. So Don, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way to get a hold of you besides clicking on your profile on the Biofarm site? Can you tell us your number and? Yeah, my direct phone number is 618-919-1031, like a 1031 tax exchange, or my personal email is dbailey, D-B-A-I-L-E-Y, at buyafarm.com. Okay. 
Well, Don, thank you for this property. We'll get the word out. And folks, you don't have much time on this one. Make sure you go to buy a farm and check this property out. Very cool looking property with a gorgeous view over the Ohio River. Thanks for your time and thanks to buy a farm for your help. Uh, thank you, Terry. I appreciate you guys. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Don. Um, I think uh, we got four questions picked out. We got a we got a couple really good ones that um, I want to I want to take a little bit more time. So we've sandbagged those for next week. Uh, we're going to put some aerial maps up and kind of walk through those. And I want to do due diligence and talking about those properties. And we just didn't have time to get it together for tonight. But these four questions are pretty cool too. So I don't know that you're going to get on too big of a rant. Maybe on one of them you might, but uh, we're going to go to the first question here as I share my screen. Um, you can uh, take off when you're ready with it. All right. The first question comes from Eric Sackett from Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Eric says, Don and Terry, first off, love the podcast. I've been following along since your first episode and appreciate all the time and effort you two have put into this podcast to help others become better hunters. My question is for Don. Way back in one of your early podcasts, you talked about mature bucks summering on your property. You mentioned that a large number of bucks didn't show up to your property until after the fall shift. Why do you think this is? And what differences might a good summer property possess compared to a good fall property? Appreciate everything you both do for Lester's feet and how much that means to many people out there. My wife and I have two kids that both spend over 90 days in the NICU. Very good to see you two using your platform for a bigger cause. God bless. And Terry, good work keeping on keeping Don calm most of the time. <laughs> well, Eric. Um, well, obviously, buddy, you've got one of them there dough factories. And, uh, <laughs> that's your problem. You know, you, you, you You've seen the videos online. You've seen the guy standing by the whiteboard telling you why you've got a dough factory because you got all that summer food. I mean, come on now. We everybody knows about that. <laughs> hey, Terry thought I wasn't gonna go on a rant. I said there um, was one that you might. <laughs> well, that's why I picked it. Um so so here's what happens, Eric. And you know, we we talked earlier about how God has such an awesome plan and for creation and you know how things work <clears throat> in the whitetail world typically um, during the summer months when the does are, are going to have fawns those does um, will take the, the best habitat in their range to raise those fawns um, you know in an area like where I live where there's heavy agriculture um, those does get to cover uh, they need that cover to hide those fawns, and and that's where they go to, to uh, you know, ensure the survival of the species. In, in my area, the bucks typically go out and and they summer in large agricultural fields. Big um, a lot of times, yeah, huge ag fields, thousands of acres of nothing but ag, as far as you can see. Uh, but but it'll be broken up a little bit with a, a little stream or a creek and um grass waterways uh throughout those fields and that's where the bucks will spend their their summer for the main um for the most part um it, it's just mother nature's way um the idea that in in a more heavily timbered area um where food is like the the weakest link 
those doughs will be focused around the food. And I guess that's where the whole dough factory thing comes in. If you have that summer food, you're going to have um, the doughs, but that does not mean in the fall, you're not going to have the bucks. I mean, my way of thinking is who cares what's there in the summer? It doesn't really matter. I, I don't have the bucks in the summer. I mean, the only buck, the only, I, occasionally I will have a year and a half old buck on one of my trail cameras on my farm in the summer. And he's just passing through. It's not like he's there day after day. Now, Smokey was one buck that was an exception to the rule. He was just a homebody. He stayed here. Didn't matter what time of the year it was, he was here. But he's the only buck in 30 years of uh, managing this farm that's been that way. And uh, during the summer, I've got the best cover in the area. I've got 30-some acres of, of switchgrass fields um, as well as wooded cover. Um, and, and that's just where those does need to be to raise the fawns to ensure survival of the species. However, in the fall, when those bucks bachelor groups start breaking up, where the bucks end up, they end up at my place where the does are. And, and I've got to believe in a heavily wooded area, those bucks are going to end up where the does are. So, you know, the whole doe factory garbage is just nonsense uh, made to sell videos or, or get clicks on videos. Um, to monetize them and make a profit but uh hey you know if you believe it you believe it i guess but Terry, you're sitting there well i mean it's just i think that i think that saying one one strategy works for every property i think you just did a very good job of of saying it but i'm gonna make you emphasize it a little bit more big ag is gonna be a little bit different than big wood timber um you know terrain topography crops um you have to look at what that weakest link is but i, I like how you anal analyze that as you know god's creation we just talked about the coyote problems you know that's that's why that mother mother doe plants that fawn you know and and doesn't stay with it you know she gets away from it that way her scent's not you know to where the predators can can uh, hunt the fawn so I think God's creation is just more complex and, and better engineered than what most people give it credit for. It's just understanding it and what the bucks do is the key. That's very well said, Terry. I think that uh, as humans, we try to uh, explain it. And really the explanation is, is this. God has designed these animals to survive, to uh, perpetuate the species. So that that means that there has to be a crop of fawns every year to continue that species so during that fawning time the does are going to take the the prime area in in that in their range to have to raise those fawns and the bucks are going to take what's left over but i don't like you said i don't care what's on there during the summer i can't hunt in the summer I care right. what's I care what's coming there when that bachelor groups uh you know dis, um, divides up and disperses. I care what's coming there during the rut to check for a hot dough, and I care what's there in late season when all of my food is the only thing they have to eat. Yeah, I mean, why would you not want year-round food on a property? That's what I I'll never understand that. I mean, I strive to have food on my property, diverse food, three hundred sixty-five days a year. And do I have a doe factory in the summer? Well, I guess, because I got a bunch of does and I got a bunch of fawns. But guess what? In the fall, I got a bunch of bucks, too. Right. All right. So let's move on to question number two. 
just when I was getting fired up, Terry. <laughs> Time to move on. <laughs> Terry moves me along. <laughs> this is, our next question comes from Jeff Palte. I hope I said your name right. Jeff from Ottawa, Ohio. Uh, Jeff says, hello, Don and Terry. I'm a longtime listener and love the podcast from all aspects. Question. Already hearing the antlers are dropping early this year. Is this another myth like the, the rut is early this year? Or does the whitetails antler drop fluctuate season to season? I was under the assumption that the best time to shed hunt was mid-March in southern Ohio. I don't know how you guys are able to do all you do, but keep up the great work. Well, Jeff, I don't know how we do it either, but uh, I guess it's just a testament to our work ethic and that we, fact that we love what we do. But uh, you know that the antler drop does change somewhat from year to year based on the stress of the deer herd. Um, the reason people say the best time to, to shed hunt is mid-March is because most years, most antlers are on the ground by mid-March. That doesn't mean that some of them hadn't been laying there for two months, but uh, you know, I've already got pictures of at least two bucks um, that have shed antlers this year. Um, does that mean I'm going to go start looking for shed antlers? No. I mean, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled every day I'm in the woods, but I'm not going to go make a special shed antler trip just because I seen one buck is shed. Um, Stress is what causes the, the shedding. I remember one year, a few seasons back, that's probably been 10 years ago now, when we had a really bad ice storm come through about the last week of January. And I mean, the, the ice froze on everything. Even bean stalks in my food plot were as big around as a handle on a shovel from, from ice. And that ice did not melt for over a week. So for over a week, those deer could not get to any food source. And the next spring, um, well, it wasn't the next spring, like a month or so later when I went to look for shed antlers, I just found piles of antlers in the bedding cover. Those deer basically laid in the cover for about a week or maybe longer when that ice was on and it stressed them out because they wouldn't get any nutrition and the antlers, and, and I was finding pairs, you know, like, match sets right on top of each other they, they, it wasn't like a long drawn out slow drop of antlers i mean those antlers fell and uh it was a pretty rare situation but it was caused by stress and uh you know that can change from region to region it can change from one county to the next if you get a something like that ice storm one of the things that i always found interesting you know there's there's a lot of guys that love to sh to to sh uh, shed antler hunt and they'll walk miles and miles and miles. Um, you and I do it a little bit differently. We'll pretty much take one stab at it per year through the sanctuary, basically. And we don't even go through all of the sanctuary. But we'll make one, one round through it. Um, we might hunt a little bit more if there's a specific target buck that you're trying to find. Like the year that, the year that you wanted uh, to find Mel's sheds that you passed him as a 216, you know, we, you really wanted those sheds, mm -hmm. but um, you know, that intrusion that people just keep putting on their property, you know, I don't care if a squirrel eats up the tips of the antler. I want to kill him the next year versus do I want an antler with some teeth marks on it? That just doesn't make sense to me. No, I agree a hundred percent, Terry, the human intrusion, it doesn't, that factor does not stop when hunting season ends. You need to get those deer feeling comfortable on your property all year long. And uh, just because season's ending today here in Illinois doesn't mean tomorrow you go out and you start 
you know, treating your property like a playground and running four wheelers all over it and doing this and that and everything else. So the time to do your shed hunt is the same time you go in and hang your rope scrapes. It's the same time you go in and do your habitat work. I saw West Delks was eliminating some of the scrap trees in his area to thicken it up. That's when you go in and do all of it one time, get out, do all you need to do and don't stretch it out over a long period of time. Right. All right. Well, we'll uh, share question number three for you to read off here on the screen. All right. The next question comes from Jacob Straubel from Belding, Michigan. Uh, Jacob says, Don and Terry, first and foremost, thank you for such a faith-driven podcast, regardless of the topic. As the season here in Michigan has ended, we now have ample time to prepare for next season's goals. My question is this. Can you overhabitat a property? With help from this podcast and other like-minded ideas, I have had the pleasure of designing our family grounds with the whitetail in mind. It is only 30 acres, and I have tried to do as many micro-projects as possible. Is there a point where I need to stop, or can I keep experimenting year after year, provided I get in and get out with as little pressure as pop possible? Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> well, Jacob... Um, you, you kind of almost answered your own question. Um, I, I like the word micro, you used micro in there. And I think a big issue that I see on a lot of properties I consult on is, is the, the client is micromanaging. He, he, he fails to see the big picture. Um, he fails to see the property from a 30,000 foot view, if you will. And he, he just, you know, and, and I can tell these clients because they insist that I see every tree on the farm. Um, they just, <laughs> you know, one time I, I might've shared this before, but one time I was on a property and the guy says, well, I need to go show you an area over here. We, I need to see what you think about this area. And so I follow him and he goes about 20 yards and he stops and he says, what do you think about this? <laughs> well, well, crap, I only walked 20 yards. Um, <laughs> he, he gets into micromanage and here's the thing um about a smaller property you've got 30 acres here the smaller the property the more damage that human intrusion does the more critical it becomes to stay out and uh a lot of times you think you're doing something good but the pressure the human pressure that you put on there is far worse than the benefit from the project that you're doing so yes, you can over, over habitat a property. I think one of the things that people do is with small properties, because let's face it, a lot of us hunt, you have small properties that you hunt. I have small properties that I hunt. None of us, neither you or I are on these big tracks like some of these people are where it's, you know, several hundreds of acres. Um, but I think people look at what gimmick can they put on their small track to make it different versus staying out and making that's what's different than the neighbors. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I got to compete with the Joneses every single time. Well, they're, they're feeding corn. So I got to feed corn. I got to be in there every, every week filling a feeder because they're filling corn. Um, I think we need to recognize what the neighbors are doing on small tracks and adapt that way versus trying to throw every gimmick because guess what? The neighbors are throwing every gimmick too. And then you got a whole section of, of acreage with hundreds of acres and small track landowners 
<laughs> basically pushing the deer further away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh, it's it's almost a never-ending cycle. But you know, there is no project that we can do, nothing, no, creating a food plot, creating a bedding area, whatever. There is nothing that we can do that will benefit our property more than 100% cutting out human intrusion. That is the number one thing you can do. It doesn't cost you a penny. It doesn't take a minute of your time. That is the number one thing you can do. And if you're fortunate enough to have a bigger property, you can set aside a, a significant portion of that bigger property free of human intrusion and then do some of these micro management projects outside of that sanctuary area and get away with it. When you've got a small property like this 30 acre property uh, in this question, you just can't get away with, with, you know, extra human intrusion. You just can't. You got to pick your battles. I mean, you, you, you got to just figure out and every single thing has a consequence, right? So you got to make sure the few times I do something that there's going to be a better reward down for it, time it properly and make sure I'm getting out. Yep. All right. That was a good question. I think, I think that there's a lot more people out there that can relate to having those small tracks like us than the people that have, you know, five, six, 700 acres. Um, I've only ever hunted one property. Um, our, our mutual friend, Joe Bosing and I had a lease in, uh, Indiana one year and, uh, it was, I think a little over 600 acres that we had. And I think I hunted it for about less than two hours and tagged out opening night. Um, it's probably the highest paid lease per hour that anybody's ever paid. But, um, but I think that was the only time that I've ever even hunted a track that's more than 150 acres. Um, uh, most of, most of the properties that you and I have are very small tracks. And if you look at the cover on the properties we hunt, I'll bet you the you know, my farm's 120 acres, and, and when you take out my house, my pasture, and ag fields, it's well under 100. I mean, we're probably looking at 80 acres total, right? Not probably not even 80 acres of cover and food plots. Sure, that is that is the biggest chunk of cover of any place I hunt. If you looked at the other properties I hunt, it took the tillable acreage and the ag fields out, and just looked at the cover. I'll bet you it's probably about 10 acres of cover that I'm hunting. And, and the people will argue, well, we don't live in big ag fields and we don't have this pockets, but you can do the same thing in timber areas. You just have to designate that, that area, do what Wes is doing in Indiana right now. You create that sanctuary, that habitat strategically to where when you do go to hunt, when you do go to put in your food plots, when you do go in to feed, you know, supplemental feed, you're, you're not pushing those deer in where they feel safe. It, it's a matter of laying out even a small property to where what you do, you know, manage or the micro things that you do, you can't bump those deer. Yeah, it gets kind of frustrating hearing people comment and act like that we've got something special that nobody else can relate to. And that's just not the, it's just simply not true. Um, most of the properties that we hunt, we're knocking on doors. We're not paying high dollar lease. Um and most of them are very small properties and most of them have other hunters on them. The first year that you told me and drove me around Illinois, I don't even know how long ago this was, where you told me, took me around and showed me all these properties that, that you have uh, permission to hunt and said that I can go hunt them. 
Do you remember what the one rule you told me was? He goes, you said, I don't care if you hunt these, but there's one rule. Do you remember what it was? You always got to play the wind. Yeah. <laughs> Do not go in there for a trail camera pull or a hunt unless the wind's right. You're not going to put intrusion on that property. Yep. So, all right. Well, I'm going to put a uh, question four up on the screen for you to read right now. All right. The next question comes from Jake Paris from Newville, Pennsylvania. Uh, Jake says, hi, Don and Terry. I'm a longtime listener of the podcast, and I want to start by saying, Don, we are praying for your grandson and family. My question is one I've been sitting on for a while and sorry about the length, but I was listening to another podcast a few weeks back after I ran out of episodes of Chasing Giants at the time, and the topic was brought up about scrapes. It was said that if a buck makes a scrape out of range or not in an optimal shooting location from the stand, this particular hunter would dig up the dirt from the scrape, put it in a bucket, cut the licking branch, and move the scrape to a better spot, whether it be closer to the stand or in better shooting location. It was then said that the buck that made the scrape will key in on the scent and go find the moved scrape and continue to freshen it. To me, this sounds like complete bullcrap. I'm curious <laughs> of your opinion. I have a feeling I know your opinion on this, and I was hoping you could shed some thought on it. The hunter also said that he has killed mature bucks using this tactics, but I just don't buy it. Thanks for all you, Terry, and Higgins Outdoors does for the hunting industry. Keep up the good work and the podcast coming. They are what I look forward to on most of my drive to work on Monday morning. Well, Jake. This, this was the rant I was expecting. <laughs> Jake, Jake, Jake. <laughs> oh, where do I get started? I, I could go so many different directions with this answer. <laughs> Let me start by saying the reason I, I became an outdoor writer was when I was a young man, like in my 20s, I would, I bought every hunting magazine in existence. And there was a lot of them back then. I mean, outdoor TV didn't exist. The internet wasn't there. I lived on hunting magazines and I read every article written by anybody. And what I found was that 99% of what I read when I took it to the woods and tried to apply it, it was pure garbage. It was, it was junk. It was, it was worthless information. I should have just threw those magazines by the toilet and used them when the toilet paper ran out. That's what I should have done. But anyway, that's how I got started into writing. So sounds like I, you I want to blow go. your nose on them. <laughs> well, my nose is so plugged up now. I probably need to get out the Makita grinder and a pick hammer or something. <laughs> Another story again. It, um, you're making me lose my train of thought here, Terry. That's probably a good thing with where you were going. I'll go ahead. Um, <laughs> Why you became an outdoor writer. Yeah, that's why I became an outdoor writer. Through the crowd. Um, yeah, anyway, um, it, it goes back to really what I said earlier, what my buddy Nathan Blosser said. There's a lot of information put out there by a lot of different people, but you need to look at, uh, at what they've accomplished. And I have no idea who you're talking about here, uh, who the deer hunter is that wrote, wrote this article. <coughs> but... Uh, you know, unless he's got some mature bucks to, to, to prove what he's saying. And, and I would even go so far as to require video proof. Um, if he's throwing out some tactic like this, now I'm not going to say this is never going to work, 
Um, but, you know, why? Here's another angle that I can take with this, this question. So this hunter is basically hunting sign. That's all he's hunting is sign. Um, why was he not able to hunt that original scrape? Uh, maybe it was in a location with uh, bad access. Maybe he couldn't put a stand there because of the wind. Whatever reason, maybe that's not the spot to kill that buck. Is moving that scrape really going to cause a, a mature buck to throw caution to the wind and commit suicide to, to march in and because somebody cut down his branch and dug up his dirt and moved it? Um, and another question I would have is how far is he moving it? Is he moving it? Is he moving that scrape 20 yards, hundred yards, 200 yards? Um, I just, it's not a tactic I'll be doing anytime in the future. Put it that way. How much sin is he leaving in the woods, packing a shovel, digging up dirt, walking it over to another area and dumping it that that oh. scrape that scent in that scrape is going to overcome the scent that he's leaving on the ground moving dirt around well this this whole tactic just reeks of king buck to me <laughs> <laughs> don't you think it, it uh, i mean almost as bad as it yeah it's king buck material well you know um <laughs> it's been a while since i heard that i actually might use i actually might use that as an illustration in my in my uh seminar on the, the 29th but oh, you're gonna get up on stage you're gonna start stomping i'm gonna around like act it buck. out i'm gonna act out king buck you know are you gonna expose yourself like king buck does? Uh, no 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 king buck you, doesn't man? king Buck doesn't raise his back legs up and, and expose his uh, undercarriage to anything because you know he's not that vulnerable all the people uh there it's probably a lot of people are shaking their heads right now but we're gonna leave it at that it's a it's it's a comical thing that don and i witnessed at a trade show one time with a guy making some pretty interesting uh uh claims about how to get uh, on mature bucks but um, i wish i had a video camera I, that would have been that would have been viral him stomping uh, up never, down the aisles of the trade show hall was was very comical but you know, when, when somebody says they've killed multiple mature bucks, ask for proof. What ages are there? You might get a two-year-old, maybe a three-year-old to fall for something like this. But because, and it's not, I don't think it's because of the dirt being moved. It's because that thing's out running around like crazy trying to find something. You know, it's almost like they're lost looking for a doe. We've all seen what happens during the rut. The Those mature bucks lock down immediately and the young ones are out what's running around. So I just... Well, it's 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 another gimmick that somebody's putting together to to try to get somebody to to uh i don't know all you're doing is putting intrusion be in the right spot to begin with and you don't have to worry about it well it's like it's almost like this author wants you to believe that these bucks have each scrape like named and numbered and it's like people in fast food restaurants in town they go into town to their they know where each fast food restaurant is, the Wendy's, the McDonald's, the Burger King. Well, hey, Burger King is not where it used to be, but I see the Burger King sign down the road at a new spot. So when I want to go to Burger King, now I go down there. This buck doesn't keep track. No, the bucks don't keep track of their scrapes like that. They know where their scrapes are at when they travel through a given area. If they travel through and their scrape is gone, they don't just go on a wandering mission to find it. I mean, come on. 
especially I, I when there's especially when there's a hole and all the dirt's gone. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably scratching his head thinking, huh, King Buck was here. I'm leaving. Well, this week on my social media, I, I put made a post and asked I asked everybody what their uh what they believe the biggest gimmick product that they'd ever seen. And there was some stuff that people said I'd never heard of. I mean, I thought that the, the uh, deer view rear view camera for your uh, mm-hmm. or rear view mirror for your, you know, it was on a big yeah. uh, swivel and you sat there and could see behind you. I thought that was the biggest one. But there was some stuff that people posted that I had never even heard of. I mean, packing your own uh, bottle of deer semen into the <laughs> woods and, and, and dropping it on the ground. It's, yeah, what? I heard of that one. Steam it. They used to call it steam and semen. That was yeah. What, that's what it was. Somebody yeah. talked about that because because clearly a buck's leaving semen all over the all over the floor of the forest, and you know that's going to help bring in king buck. You know. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, head over uh, if if you get a chance. Look at look through the. I think there was like a hundred and sixty comments within like six hours of people posting their favorite gimmick and and then there was a couple people that got mad and said no that really works (laughs) the the you should and you need comments started coming then Mm -hmm. so oh well a lot of bad information out there isn't it if people would just accept the fact that you don't have to overcomplicate it and it's pretty simple they would be a whole lot more successful wouldn't they well, I say it all the time and I truly mean it. Anybody can do what we are doing. Anybody. It's not that hard. I think I think the biggest hurdle is that the industry as a whole has made it seem harder than it really is. And and in order to succeed, you have to do these things. You have to have these scent control products. You have to do this. You have to have an expandable broadhead so you can shoot flatter trajectory and you can shoot You got to shoot a lighter arrow and you got to do one stupid thing after another. <laughs> it's a bunch of nonsense is what it is. It's, it's simple. I'm telling you, if I can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got for tonight. We got a few laughs, but um apologize for the coughing and the sniffling um like i said we've both been pretty sick this week so uh um what's your plans what's your plans next week are you gonna rest a couple more days are you gonna hit it hard starting tomorrow (laughs) well i'm gonna i'm gonna hit the road in the morning and do a local consulting visit Uh, that's a smaller property that i can do on the side by side and uh what shouldn't take all that long and um come home and reevaluate Hopefully I didn't jump back out on the trail too soon, but, uh, by the end of the week, I've got ahead. Uh, I got ahead of back out on a major trip either. haven't decided if I'm going east to Ohio or if I'm going west to, to Kansas and Missouri again. So, uh, well, um, it's almost, it's probably getting close to dark there right now. Maybe you got a hunter in the stand since you, uh, had a coffin fit while you were in the blind last night. Uh, Wes, Wes came over and took your guest hunter. So they're, uh, what, what are, are they hunting in a blind tonight or in tree stand? Uh, they're in a blind this evening. The wind was perfect for the smoky blind. And yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I felt so bad for the hunter. He had, uh, we had a whole herd of deer coming out of single file about as far as we could see when we already had six of them in front of us 
two uh, forward pass and then there was two right at like 10 yards with just as far as you could see this single file row of deer now most of them were antlerless there was two small bucks in the group but we don't know what was bringing up the tail end and those two does are in front of the blind and i just cut loose on a coffin spell like i hadn't experienced all day long and i had my head buried in my armpit and my you know my coat around my head and everything else trying to muffle the sound but it didn't work and those deer in front of us took back off and the whole string of deer turned around and went right back the way they came tails just a bouncing so uh you needed that cough silencer product yeah you, there you go you, you I put your had mouth around that can and cough into yeah. it that, was, that would have saved the hunt anybody uh mentioned the, the tree stand urinal thing remember that yes we yeah, had a tube that ran up the side of your tree and you peed in it and it ran your scent down into the ground or some garbage yeah but that smelled real good not to be confused with the uh, tube that ran down the tree with your grunt call at the base of the tree. You don't want to yeah. get those. Tubes, you don't want to get those tubes mixed up when you're no. when you're hunting the one you pee into, yeah. when you blow into. <laughs> That'd be a bad deal for sure. You'd only do that once. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thank you for the support. We appreciate that. Uh, we've gotten to the point that there's even a hundred episodes of this nonsense, but. We appreciate you. Hope you come out if you're in the areas we're going to be in here in the next month and uh, come out and see us and say hi. Thanks for all your support. We wouldn't, uh, we really enjoy doing this for you guys. It's, it's a lot of fun. God bless everyone. Have a great week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products. Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.